chapter 1. two sections in there. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. We'll skip a few verses. Luke 1, 11 says, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Down to verse 18, And Zacharias says unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man. And my wife well stricken in years. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. And he remained speechless. Zacharias was, we read, back up in verse 6, both him and his wife were righteous before God. He walked in all the commandments, all the ordinances of the Lord. He was blameless. He was a Jew. He was a priest. He had a role in, in performing worship in God's temple. Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, my wife was stricken in years, and behold, thou shalt be dumb. And then we skip down to verse 26. And we read, if you want to follow those verses, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel sent from God unto a city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. In verse 34, And then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? In verse 38, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Bid unto me according to thy word. Bead unto me according to thy word. We read in verse 28. Angel came unto her, said, Thou art highly favoured. Mary was regarded. She was fortunate. The Lord is with thee. Thou art blessed among women. She was known as a righteous lady. Don't know how old she was, 18, 20, 22. She was a Jewish girl who lived at the time when Rome had taken control over Israel. 
And she was brought up in the right ways of God, just the same as they were taught back under Moses, where she was taught in the things of God from a young age. And God saw something in her, and he said to her, you are highly favored. She was young. And she said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that your word is true. Lord Jesus, your word, Lord, we need to understand. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would help us to understand. Lord, that you would, Lord, allow the seed to fall into good ground and that we would make the choice, would make the decision to let the seed grow. And Lord, to bring forth fruit and to allow that fruit to remain in our lives and bless others as well, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you wouldn't mind, we'll get there in a minute, but put your finger in Daniel chapter 4 and another finger or a bookmark in Acts chapter 12 while you're in Luke. uh, Acts is not far away. Acts chapter 12 and Daniel chapter 4. We'll get there in a minute. But have you heard of the term stealing someone's thunder? Stealing someone's thunder. About 400 years ago, thereabouts, when the most popular form of entertainment was theatre, stage theatre, there was a man who was devising special sound effects for his play. And he came up with a technique to make thunder that would make his play sound good. And when he went through the rehearsals that did the play, the management of the theatre pulled the play. They said, it's not very popular. You're not going to be able to do this play. And instead, somebody else went and did another play. It was actually, I think it was actually Shakespeare that went and did the play. And this man, a few weeks later, when the other play was on, went and turned up at the theatre was happening and then he heard the thunder and he realized that they used his technique no one had done that before they made it sound like thunder and he said they stole my thunder and they didn't let me do my play and since that time I think it has come to be generally known that to steal someone's thunder is to take credit for someone else's work It is to make yourself look good at the expense of somebody else. To exalt self, to give glory to self, to uh, have a a little bit of pride perhaps. Stealing someone's thunder. If you've got your finger in Daniel chapter 4, let's have a look what the word of God says about stealing someone's thunder. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 28, we read, And all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my power? Majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, 
To thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. And verse 33 says, The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men, and he did eat grass as oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till hairs were grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. Until, and uh, we can go back to verse 25, until he says, Until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomsoever he will. Might look at this in context and say, King Nebuchadnezzar, I, king, have built all this here. But we need to understand the context. The context is that he knew about God. Nebuchadnezzar knew about the greatest God because he acknowledged him as the greatest God. On not one occasion, but we have records of four occasions where he recorded that God is the greatest God. The first time was when he conquered the nations and he got some Hebrew boys and between them was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And at the end of their period of separation, he communed with all the people that he selected to be in his court and he found these four boys to be better than any other people he was preparing to come up in the kingdom. That was his role. We read that says that he found these four ten times better than the magicians and the astrologers of the people that he had selected that would have wisdom and understanding, understand languages, understand science, understanding the times and the seasons. He acknowledged that there was something in them that was greater. There was a dream he had, and it troubled him. And he forgot what the dream was. And he called all the magicians and astrologers, and he told them, tell me the dream. If you don't, off with your head. And nobody knew the answer. And they came to get Daniel and said, off with your head. He says, why? Oh, because the king had a dream. So he and his three friends got together and said, Lord, if it be, show us the dream. And he came to Nebuchadnezzar, and he told Nebuchadnezzar the dream. That was the dream of the statue that was beginning with the head of gold and finished with the feet of clay and iron. And when he told Nebuchadnezzar the dream he had, an interpretation thereof, Nebuchadnezzar said, Your God is the God of gods. He is the Lord of kings. He's the revealer of secrets. And whoever will speak against your God, I will chop him up. There was another dream. or There was another instance when Nebuchadnezzar created a statue and he wanted everyone to bow down in front of it. At that time, Daniel was somewhere else. The kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar was a big kingdom. It went from India up to Italy. What today is a big area. Multiple countries today. Daniel wasn't there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, and they wouldn't bow down. And King got really upset. He got furious. These people are not going to bow down to what I want them to bow down to. This statue of me. But we know the story when they came out of the fire and they were not 
singed at all. They were not affected. Nebuchadnezzar said, where does it say here? Your God, uh, blessed is the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and no one is to speak evil of your God. Same God as the God of Daniel. And then there was a dream that a tree would be honed down, cut down, and just a bit of sprouting come from it. And then it came the time we just read, where he says, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the Lord, or for the kingdom of my power, and for the honor of my majesty? And while he said these things, the kingdom departed from him. And he realized, until a time, and there was several years later, until he realized, and until he, we actually read in verse 25, he says, uh, or verse 26, 37, doesn't matter, I'll read it. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor of the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, his ways, judgment, and those that walk in pride, he's able to abase. Let's look at the other place where you had your other finger, Acts chapter 12. <clears throat> Let's read that part. We read, starting in verse 21. And upon a said day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of God and not of man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. He was eaten up of the worms. He gave up the ghost. King Herod died. Again, let's look at this in context. What is all this? What's all this about? We we'll go just to back a little bit further at the beginning of chapter 12. We read now about that time Herod, the king, stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, to give him trouble. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to further take Peter also. Herod saw that troubling the Christians, who were not the same as the Jews, who were the ones that he was ruling over, and when they gave him trouble, when he pleased them, they gave him less trouble. So if he's pleasing them by taking the Christians, then it's good for him. Does that make sense? So he said, I'll take, I took James, it pleased the Jews, I'll take Peter also. It makes me look good. It, it allows me a certain power base and authority, certain, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, being able to, to deal with these Jews. But what happened is that the Lord freed Peter from prison. And Herod got a bit upset, and the people who were guarding him, it was off with their heads. Because it didn't make him look good. It made him look, I took this guy, I got this under control, now he's gone. But Herod was a man who liked prestige and power and position. Again, there's a bit more detail here. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. It's an area, part of the kingdom, they came from up north. There was a rich trading center. For whatever reason, we don't know. They had displeased Herod. And he, because they were dependent on him, they came 
groveling. It says, They came with one accord, and having made blasters the king's chamber and their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. Oh, king, you are great. Oh, king Herod, you are so good. And he, I got them now. <clears throat> Peter's gone, but these people will come groveling to me. I'll give them a speech. I'll let them know what I'm like. I'm the king of this region, this area. And we read, when he gave the speech, the people gave up the shout, saying, it is the voice of God, not of man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. This is another example of stealing someone's thunder. <laughs> and then we read a little bit more. Peter got away. He died because he thought he was the best. And he was troubling the Christians to, to conceal, to, to limit them. But we read in verse 24, Despite all that you have done, Herod, the word of God grew and multiplied. Is he trying to steal God's thunder? Is Nebuchadnezzar trying to steal God's thunder? We go back to the beginning of the Bible. There were people who toured from west to east and he saw a plain and said, lest we be forgotten, let us make us a name for ourselves. Let us go to and take brick and burn it and let's make ourselves a tower so that people will know who we are. It was the Tower of Babel. And they can do that. And God said, yeah, you can do that. But I'll just make it a little bit more difficult for you. Pass me the bricks. But they said in a different language. Didn't know what they were talking about. And then uh, hoist up the ropes and pull up this mortar. Didn't understand. The language had changed. God had shown they're not going to steal his thunder. There's a little bit closer in timeline, Ananias and Sapphira, who rightly, when they were moved on by the Holy Ghost, wanted to be a part of the movement. Barnabas, we read, sold what he had, laid at the apostles' feet. They did likewise, but their motive was a little bit different because they wanted to be seen to be doing something. They wanted to point to themselves rather than point to God. Are they trying to steal God's thunder? There was a revival happening. There was Philip going down to see people. And there was a, a troublemaker, Simon the sorcerer, who had certain powers. And when he saw what they were doing, he realized that this is a greater power and he became a believer himself. And he followed Peter around, uh, Philip around, and he went around with them. And when he saw that when Philip prayed, the Holy Ghost fell and touched people's lives, he said, Can I give you, can I give you some money so I can have this power also? What is his motive? What is his reason? Philip says to him, You better pray, you better repent. You better think about what you just asked because these things you cannot buy. These are things that God gives because you're trying to demonstrate that you are somebody. And he repented. 
So, the points of these, just a few examples, and we can go through and look at other examples as well, is that there is God's thunder, it's not a good idea to take. We read in the, in the old prophets when God speaks to the people about himself. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory will I not give to another. Period. Full stop. I am the king. You got... You're nowhere near. Another place we read, I, even I am the Lord... And beside me there is no saviour. There is no debate. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last. Beside me there is no God. There are some very good reasons to restrain ourselves from pride and from taking God's rightful position book of proverbs gives us lots of good wise words one of them says pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do i hate god hates pride arrogance i can do it my way i'm king nebuchadnezzar i'm herod i'm a builder of this i'm a whatever god hates those things we also read uh, we can understand wherever there is strife you know what the cause is only by pride comes contention wherever there's strife wherever there's wherever there is an argument wherever there is a disagreement the cause is pride because we are trying to take someone's place or position Thus says the Lord, oh, pride comes before destruction, well known, and a haughty spirit before a fall. These are good reasons to restrain ourselves from pride or from taking God's rightful position of having his position recognized as the God of gods, the King of kings, the only one, whatever you want to, however you want to describe it, the it. That's him. The opposite of these is the recognition that we are not sufficient. That we are inadequate. That we are actually weak. That we actually need to submit, be humble. If you take your finger one more place, we look at John chapter 6. You know this portion. This is a key point. We've talked about it recently. I want to bring a little bit more out. John chapter 6. Beginning at verse 5. And when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw great company come unto him, he says to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? You know the story. With all these people, Jesus had spoken to them. It's the end of the day. They're in the middle of a place where there isn't any place to buy provisions. And he says, we should give these people something to eat so they're not going back hungry. They lived a little bit differently to how we do now. 
You know, we can get food around every corner. We stack little muesli bars. We take lunch boxes. We, we, we've got things ready. Maybe they ate once or twice a day. They, uh, they had a little bit of a different endurance than we do today. We're sometimes perhaps a little bit soft in the society we have today. We're blessed, but we can't allow it to make us soft. But then we read in verse 9, Andrew, one of the disciples, says, There is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. The key passage is, but what are they among so many? And then we know what happened. In verse 13 says, Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets and the fragments of the five with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. A little trick just to remember because there's two occasions in the Bible where Jesus fills people with food. And the way I remember it, five bread, two fish, five plus seven is twelve, twelve left over. Whew. That's how I remember it. Anyway. There's an important point here. These people needed some sustenance. As a boy, his mum probably gave him five loaves of bread, two fish, good lunch, good dinner, whatever it is, it's good for the day. It's good sustenance. It's good for him. It's healthy food. When the time came, the murmur, the word went around, we're going to get something to eat. Oh, there's nothing to eat. Oh, should we go or should we stay? Jesus says we should stay. A bit of things, things going around. Somehow it was made known that this boy had a lunch or a dinner. He had some food. Good food. Enough food for him. At some point, that food was offered up. See what this can do. The important point is, the lunch, the food, was good food for the one. It was offered up, but it wasn't enough. It was offered up sincerely. It was offered up with the right motive. Let's see what it can do. And then Jesus took it, and we read, he prayed, and it multiplied. The offering, that was a good offering, a pure offering, given willingly, that wasn't enough for everybody. God made it stretch. There's a difference between giving an offering and not being enough, and you're going, you know what, my offering's not going to make a difference. I'll just add my little bit. My offering of my ability my offering of my time, my offering of my skills, offering of my whatever, it's not going to make much difference. Uh, I'll add it in there with the rest. That's inadequate. It doesn't matter. It is not a considered, willing, pure offering. I know it's not enough. I'll give my best. But I will let do, I will let the Lord do whatever He will. This is the principle. The principle is that.
that that which is weak is strong. That which is inadequate is enough. That which is unseemly is seemly. That which looks like is not going to do it is more than enough. Let's prove it. A few examples. Plenty more you can choose. Let's look at Exodus chapter... Don't look at any of these now. Exodus chapter 4 verse 2 where God says to Moses at the beginning when he calls him to lead the people of Israel and he's going like, Lord, I, I don't know. I, you know. I had to run away from Egypt. I killed a man. And I'm living in the desert now. I'm looking after sheep. I married an Ethiopian woman. I'm not, I'm not your man. And God says to him, what's in your hand? And that rod that was in his hand became a snake, became a serpent, became a sign. It doesn't matter what it became. The point is that God took what was in his hand and demonstrated to him what you've got. I will make enough and I will make it do. In Judges chapter 7, Gideon, God calls and he says, you've got to fight this army of Amalekites and um, Midianite. It says, a host without number. 20, 50, 100, 200,000. Not uncommon, they had 200,000 or more people. And Joshua, we read, when he asked the people to go, 22,000 left. There was 300 left. And God wrought a victory with what seemed weak, what seemed inadequate, what seemed not enough. We read in Judges 15 where Samson, strong, under the power of the Holy Spirit, picked up a bit of, bit of bone. Thousand people killed the Philistines. Was it him? It was him. It was God's Spirit through him. David against Saul, uh, against uh, Goliath. Five smooth stones, just needed one. Elijah, the cloud of a man's hand, becomes rain after a period of seven years of no rain. John chapter 6, verse 5. Five, fish, uh, five loaves of bread, two fish. What are they among so many? Mary. Bid unto me according to your word. The thing is, we might recognize that it is not adequate. In fact, to recognize you are inadequate is painful. Because I have, this is good. This is good, but it is not enough. It's almost like not having anything at all. But the thing is, it is submission. It is glory in God. The thing is, I, you, are not supposed to be responsible for the outcome. Don't steal God's thunder. You are supposed to have the right attitude. You are supposed to bring the right effort. You are supposed to bring the sacrifice. You are supposed to behave in the right way. Way. Do what is right. Do what should be done. You may recognize that your effort is not adequate. But the thing is, the reason, the motive why you are doing it is key.
if your reason for doing, giving, offering, being involved, whatever it is, is any other than to please the Lord, the motive must be to please the Lord. Because if you are not doing it to please the Lord, then you may be doing it to be seen. You may be doing it to be admired. To demonstrate that you have power, Herod. To demonstrate, I am the king. I've got this kingdom that I have built. To demonstrate that I have built these towers, or this tower with all these people, because I'm, I'm a good organizer. You may be doing it to be recognized for your abilities. You may be doing it to, re- to get something out of it. The thing is, if you do it for any other reason apart from wanting to please the Lord, the outcome of why you're doing it is not going to come. And what you will be doing is pointing out to others. They should have done this. They should have done that. You'll be frustrated. You'll be disappointed. Because if you are doing it to the Lord, the outcome is not yours. And the Lord will take it the offering that you have given, the sacrifice you've made, he will multiply it. He will get the glory. You're not supposed to get the glory. The Andrew, the boy, imagine the boy goes home to his mum, mum, see what happened? I gave this food, everybody ate, and there was 12 baskets left. What are they among so many? It wasn't enough. Nowhere near enough. Inadequate. Insufficient. A good offering. A good sacrifice. Right motive. Jesus multiplied. Mary, a young girl, brought up in the right way, acknowledged to be serving the Lord in the right way. She was brought up a young girl, knowing the word of God from Genesis to whatever prophets they had at that time. And the, she was regarded by having the right motive. She questioned, but how can this be? I, since I know not a man, I don't know. How can I have a baby? But then she goes and she's thinking, oh, the stigma. I'm not married. I'm going to have a child. It's not going to look good. Lord, be it unto me. According to your word. Not enough. Offering. Pure. God selected a pure vessel. Not adequate of her own. God is able to multiply. We read this recently as well. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Don't take God's thunder. We read, Jesus says, "But but but ye shall not be so. When they're talking about who am I? Who are you? Who can we be? Where can we? Where do we fit in? What's the hierarchy? 
Jesus says to them, but ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief, as he that doth serve. Paul says, I say to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. James says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. We are supposed to do the things that are not seen. We are supposed to seek to be involved in things which don't bring glory or point to you or to your abilities, to your skills, to whatever you have to offer. We are supposed to put somebody else ahead of us. It is your sacrifice. A sacrifice in the Old Testament was an animal cut dead on a stone bench that was burnt up. We are not living in the Old Testament. The principle applies. God still looks for a sacrifice. And the sacrifice is a living sacrifice. And when the fire, figuratively, comes up and the animal starts to get burnt, it's dead. It's not going to run away. When the fire comes up in your life and the offering is given and it gets a bit uncomfortable, it gets a bit hot, the sacrifice is live and it can run away. Are we going to allow ourselves to be submitted to his will, to his way? It's not about hey you, about me, but it's about what gives glory to him. Way before all this, the prophets, God says to his people, let him that glorieth glory in this, that he that understandeth and knoweth me, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in, these, in the earth. For in these things do I delight. If you're going to glory, glory in that you know me. If you're going to glory, glory in that you understand me. Glory in that I am loving. Glory in that that I the, the one that judges. Glory in the one that I am the one that is righteous and not you. You can glory. It's natural and normal that we want to give praise. Give it. Don't get looking at you though. Because we have Nebuchadnezzar, who was a man who had a brush with God, who recognized that God is God. Herod, that was the end of him. But there are examples in our lives where our approaches, our attitudes, our involvement, our doing things unseen outside of church... Why do we get involved in those things or even in church? What is the reason? What is the motive? I saw an image recently of a mountain or a hill. I like hills. I like the challenge of a hill. And I saw these steps going up the hill. It's interesting when you look at that and you ponder us people. <clears throat> Say you're at the base of that. You go, how can I make it easier to get up that hill? 
Wouldn't it be easier? We've got technology these days. We could just make that some kind of a road. Or we could get a motorbike. Maybe we'll get a four-wheel drive. Maybe we'll get a cable cart. Maybe, maybe we'll just remove the mountain altogether. Instead of, Lord, figuratively, there's a mountain you want me to climb. Give me the strength to take the step at a time. You see, when circumstances come into our lives, we may respond by wanting to point at us. Or we may respond by wanting to swipe the situation away. Regardless, neither is right. Because God is not interested in the outcome for you. You see, he's interested in the steps that you take. Our prayer, when the heat is on, is, Lord, help me to take the heat. When the heat is on, when it's difficult, Lord, give me the strength. When I haven't got time, Lord, make my time stretch. When I haven't got the money, Lord, help me to make it work. When I can't see how it's going to work, Lord, I'm going to do it anyway. You, you multiply it. You make use of it. The Lord will present to you and to me an opportunity. He will deal with you according to your heart. Through the circumstances of life. He will, by dealing with you, he may actually be dealing with others around you. We see that in the Old Testament through prophets. Cut your beard, spread it around, dig a hole through a wall, lie on your side, eat some <clears throat> dirty stuff, marry someone who's not real good, get thrown in a dungeon and get left to die and then get pulled out by someone that's from another country that's serving in Israel who recognizes that the Israelite king wasn't doing the right thing. All these are examples of doing the right thing. Difficult for you, for me. The Lord dealing with you and those around you. But if we go remove that mountain, Lord, give me a helicopter, fly over it. Take it out of it. Make it a slide. No. Lord, give me strength to put up with the inadequacies that I have. Not having enough bread, not having enough time, not having enough information, not having enough of my discipline, of my self-will to continue to do. Lord, I give you my offering of time to do what I'm supposed to do today. I don't know if I'm strong enough to do it tomorrow. I might not be up to a 42-kilometer run, figuratively speaking, but he wants us to progress not to be marathon runners, but to take those steps and say, Lord, my strength is weak, but make, my, make it enough to get it through so that I don't take your glory, I don't take your thunder, but you get the glory and not me. See, there is strength in weakness. To know God is to know that he should be obeyed. Stephen, Philip, Saul, go down. Ananias, go and speak to Saul. Ooh, Lord, that guy that was putting all these people in jail, he's now in Damascus, he's going to do the same to me. Go. Delayed obedience to the Lord is disobedience. Samson, 
be late by the time he obeyed the Lord. Jonah jumped on the wrong ship, decided later it's probably a good idea to follow the Lord's ways. God has, you see, God has many loving, painful ways to encourage you to obey. He wants you to obey. Circumstances will come. They'll be tough. They will be tough. They are supposed to be tough. You are supposed to acknowledge that I have a little strength. I have a little understanding. I have a little capability. But it is not enough. Lord, take that. Enable me to fulfill what you would have me to fulfill. You may die. You may crash. You may go bankrupt. You may have to leave town. But all that is part of God's plan. It may be a witness to somebody else. It happens to people. We read, there is strength in weakness. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. When Paul asked God, help me. Lord, I've got this strife in my life on multiple occasions. Jesus says to him, we read, God says, my strength is made perfect in weakness for your life, Paul. That which you see yourself as weak, that is what makes you strong. We read at the conclusion that, uh, of life, the summary of all kinds of events that have taken place, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Yes, God kept and preserved some. He didn't keep and preserve others, but it is for his purpose in our weakness. When you are asked by God, not by me, you don't need me. I'm sorry, Brother Simon, don't need you. I don't mean this in a nice way. God will speak to you and you will know where that thing is in your life. You will know, then you might want to come and I have some counsel, but you should know. If you're wanting to please the Lord, Lord, you know that's tough. And you go, <laughs> go the other way. But if I want to please the Lord, you will know that's what you need to do. And if it is tough, and if it seems like it's not going to work, hand it over to him. And you might fall, you might burn, crash. But he will take you through it. If he is taking you through it, he will lead you through it. You need to do something. You need to, when this happens, you need to start. It needs to be yours. It needs to be your offering. It needs to be a, a pure offering. It needs to be a good one. It needs to be a pure vessel. Mary, pure vessel. Zechariah, good man. Brought up kingly, uh, priestly, righteous. Followed ways. God providing a son for him and his wife. Blessed him and the nation of Israel. And the precursor of Jesus. Your blessing can be a blessing for many. But your start needs to be a pure start. It needs to be a free will offering. You need to seek to please him. It is not going to be enough. 
Let Jesus multiply it. Submit to being inadequate. Submit to being insufficient. Submit to acknowledging that you can't accomplish it. But don't go, you know what? I can't. It makes no difference what I do. I'll just do my bit and I've done it and that's it. No. Glory in him and he will be lifted up. If we go back to Luke chapter 1. And we'll end with the beginning, so to speak. After the angel spoke to Mary, let's read what she says. Forget the fact that it's Mary. Just pay attention. And Mary says, verse 46, My soul does magnify the Lord. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. He has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. The clean, the pure offering. He hath put down the mighty from their seats, and exalted them of low degree, those who are of a humble status. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath holpen, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Those things that were promised about us having a saviour, a deliverer, they are coming to pass. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever, when Mary heard these things, when she realized she wasn't adequate, when she heard she was going to be part of this chain of events, thank you, Lord. I give you the glory. I look back through time and through the promises that were made, and I can see that they're being done. Mary, who was 18, 20, 22, whatever she was, she was young. How many of us would be able to say these things and point to God and say, thank you, God. Whatever it is that you're doing, you're helping us collectively. You're doing a work in us and we'll give you the glory. What a response. I'm not enough. The response was, behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. Will this be your word?